Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. This is episode 222 of The Sausage Factory. In this episode, I talk to Jessica Saunders of Salix Games about their adventure title, Dulac Fay, The Dance of Death. Before we delve into that, let's chat about what else Kane and Rince has to offer throughout the week. On Monday, we have Kane and Rince, with this week featuring Zelda Breath of the Wild, a small niche title not many people have played, but it is quite entertaining. On Wednesday, we have Sound of Play, where we celebrate scores of, for video games. Musical scores, not Metacritic scores, just to be clear. And on Thursday, we have Playwright, where two people called Ryan make up games in an attempt to make them on the fly. And then finally, on Fridays, we have The Sausage Factory, which is what you're listening to right now. Thanks for that. Awesome. If you want to know more about Kane and Rince, what else we write about, make videos of, and that kind of thing, and... Check out our forum, a lively forum that exists in 2019. I know, a rarity. You can go to com, And from there you can download past episodes of Cane uh, and Rinse and indeed this show too. There's also a Twitch stream we have now going. Um, it's going for a fair few weeks now. And we every Sunday I stream a game of particular choice. And uh, for an hour on a Sunday evening... And also on Thursday evenings, we uh, sail the seven seas, or the Caribbean, in the 1700s, in Sea of Thieves, with myself and Darren Gargett. Twice the sail. Is that the right word? Probably not. And to sail off and try to find content, which we failed to do. But anyway, yeah, check that out, 9pm, Thursdays. If you want to check us some gold doubloons, is that the right word? Probably not. Uh, well, it's just money. For our efforts then go to patreon.com and look up Kane and Rince and you'll find us there. And if you throw us one US dollar a month, you'll get extra content. You'll get a monthly podcast, which is created by Jay and Leon, the founders of Kane and Rince. you also get advanced releases of the Kane and Rince podcast a week early. Not only that, but it's an extended edition as well because the regular free edition comes out and it only is edited down to two hours. Whereas uh, if you subscribe via patreon you actually get the full monty so to speak um yeah so do 
do subscribe if you can. Chuck us some shekels. If you don't want to subscribe, have issues with Patreon. That's fine. We get that. You can actually throw some money via PayPal as well if you go to kdomins.com. So, yes. Anyway, enough of that. Let's go on to the main feature. Take it away. Past me. Jessica. Who Hello. are you? Hello. Who are you? What do you do? Um, my name is Jessica Saunders, and I am the director of Salix Games. Well, director, indeed. Okay. So yes. How did you make <laughs> your start making flashy, lighty video games, as opposed to you know other sorts of games? <laughs> so um, I started out as a sound designer. Right. Um, so I've had a a wild career. Um, I've often referred to myself as a gun for hire. I worked as a contract sound designer for about eight years in industry um and i had the absolute joy of working for companies um let me see i did codemasters then i did lionhead then i did rare then i did splash damage then i did rocksteady um i think i consulted for a little bit at supermassive so yeah i've done i've done the rounds (laughs) with some of the studios um and it's it was amazing i loved it um and then I got old and tired and didn't want to move a lot anymore. Um, I wanted to start my own company. So I did. Mm. Yeah, it's Mass Damage, a local to me. So, ah, yeah. yes. That part of the world. It's not yeah. terribly unpleasant. Just, you know. <laughs> um, so have you always delved into the realms of, of sound? Sort of, How did you get into that? I'm fascinated um, by. Is it just yes. messing around with a keyboard and go? I can make sounds, or was it more, more, um, more studied than that? Please, please reveal. It was, it was more studied than that. So, um, I must have. So, my kind of interest in sound, sound started when I was was very young. I've always been into music, um, and kind of interested in in kind of weird music. I listened to a lot of prog rock and techno through my dad, um, growing up, and just the weirder the better. Um, I went to see Focus recently. That was great fun. <laughs> I took my dad for his birthday for that. Um, um, and so anything kind of weird and wacky. Um, big fan of shows like Doctor Who. Watched all the old school stuff of that growing up and Star Trek and just loved all the sound effects on that. Um, and growing up, I I tried to study music. I tried to be a musician. Um I wasn't very good at it, if I'm completely honest. I didn't have the patience to learn an instrument. So I can kind of passably tinkle on the piano every now and then. I can read music at a slow pace, and I have a kind of basic understanding of music theory. Um, But when I went to do my A-levels, I did um, music technology. And that was the first time I got my hands on kind of editing software and realized you don't have to be a musician to play around with this. Um, and really got into doing kind of more soundscapey pieces. So I very much avoided um, using music in the traditional sense. Um, and we have to do um, lots of recordings of covers and I would pick things like Depeche Mode, you know, things with lots of synth that could require lots of interesting sounds in the background rather than just like a, a three piece guitar, bass and drum recording. Um, and yeah, that landed me my my degree, which was creative music technology at Bath Spa. Um, and I picked that because it was the only it was the only degree I could find that had anything to do with game audio. I had a game audio module in its third year. Huh. 
Um, because wow. yeah, now it's like the world is full of them, like game degrees are everywhere, but no, back so then they just yeah. didn't exist. No, it's just it was either computer science or computer science, which is like, yeah. no, and uh, Bath, though, lovely part of the world. Oh, gorgeous, oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so was it like a Thai ST Cubase or was it you? you, you were... So I started on Cubase. Right. Uh, Cubase SE and Sibelius. I hated Sibelius with a burning passion. <laughs> um, so I'd often work in, in MIDI in Cubase and kick out the Sibelius file. Right. Uh, and then my music lecturer would turn around and go, This is nonsense. And I'm like, But it sounds cool. Yeah. Uh, and apparently that wasn't a good enough reason. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, but it works as a piece. Let me live with it. And they're like, no, this doesn't. Look, this won't go towards your grade five on the bass guitar. And I'm like, oh. Um, so yeah, that got me into bits of trouble. But um, no, it's literally as soon as I could, I jumped from Cubase to Logic because I was told everyone had to deal with with Mac. So I was like, okay, the affordable option was Logic. So I didn't need all the hardware that Pro Tools needs. Um, but my brief stay with Logic, I've really discovered, you know, for me, I've always found that Logic is a composing tool. Right. It's great playing with MIDI if you are a composer. Um, I think Logic is the best. It allows you to quickly and swiftly compose. But when it comes to audio editing and mixing, um, for me, Pro Tools is hand down the king, always. Um, so, I, yeah, I use Pro Tools and have been using Pro Tools must have been for the last... Christ, I sound old 15 years. Yeah. <laughs> People still um, use STs, though, apparently. They're still, still mucking around. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why, yeah. but uh, people just like, you know, familiar with it, I guess, or uh, like the sound you can emit from it, or that's not the right word, because yeah. MIDI is MIDI, you know. Just... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, the fundamental aspects of MIDI still exist, you know, that's how we run our VSTs. Um, um, and they are incredible. The packages you get now are insane. Like, because um, our score for the game is is half um, half VST, and we've actually got some live string instruments. And in. and in some aspects of the game, in some aspects of some of the score, you you'd be hard pressed to tell when, especially when it comes to things like the pizzicato strings. Um, you know, when it is plucking, you know, you can get away with a virtual sample for that because they are real life recordings <laughs> of a violin. <laughs> Plucking, whereas MIDI, not so much. But they no, still run no. a MIDI file. That's the data that gets recorded by your USB controller into something like Logic. I remember watching a video recently, Lazy, Lazy Game Reviews. It's a great <coughs> podcast, um, no, the YouTube channel. And he sat there reviewing all these old PC sound cards. They were nuts. <laughs> they were completely nuts. Some of them are like... Sounded nothing like the other one. I just suddenly thought they were yeah. much of a muchness. No, yeah. no, they weren't. No, no, they had these big breakout boxes with MIDI outlets, and go. You yeah. could, you could, they were amazing. <laughs> I had no idea. I don't know. I because I, I've lived in audio world for so long. I don't. I've always had external sound cards and external setups. Like because yeah. um, we always, I always go for the most neutral sounding speakers and my monitors that I can get. Right. And, you know, so I've got my friends who are really into hi-fi. And they're like, oh, I like this system with this sound because I can do this, this and that. And I'm like, I don't want any of that. I want clean. <laughs> I need as clean as possible so I can do my job. Give me the neutral, the bassist. I need to hear exactly what the input is yeah. so that I can try and do my job as best as I can. But, yeah, extraordinary. They, will, they actually have different instruments depending on which yeah. part. 
Yes. Yeah. It was just like one minute it was just basic tinny stuff. Next minute it's full orchestra. Like, and the orchestration was the same, but it was like, yep. 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 I totally know that stuff. Crazy. But um, you might be interested in another podcast we we do called Sound of Play. Okay. We actually um, showcase scores from video games uh, from all eras, and we just sit there for an hour or so. Um, just uh, having composers on, you might want to come on and on the show there and be a guest. I'll let Leon know if you're interested. I'd love to. But, and I've uh, got a, yeah. a composer who I'd definitely love to be onto that. Yeah, we uh, we've had all sorts of composers on on that show, and, and uh, well, basically you just pluck out the best ones that you like, maybe even some of your own work, of course, and uh, just talk about music objectively. It's lovely. Oh, wonderful! Yes. I would like that. Yes, very good. So, <laughs> next question. It just starts yeah. to ramp up. <laughs> Yeah. In difficulty, like a video game. So there it is. Ah, okay. Yeah. So the next question is, what do you believe is as a, as a studio, as yeah. a Salix Games? What do you believe is your biggest influence? Was the thing that you find you're drawn to more than anything that then results in what you produce? Um, I think that question could be interpreted in many different ways. I think indeed, it's indeed, it's we talking about our kind of our studio ethos or our, our product, our first product that we're creating? Um, what is it? It's, it's a very nebulous question, and I grant you that, and I apologise, but that's what I like yeah. to build <laughs> from it. I'm fully aware how nebulous it is, but I, and, I, and I love to, I did the very different answers and responses. But really, well, what is the thing you find? What inspires you? Drives you? What is the thing that you, as as a, as a creative endeavour, uh, what is it the thing that that you really want to actually pass on and show and interpret and and, and bring to the world or the or the medium of video games? Okay, well, too pretentious, that's, that's what I'm trying to say. For me, I think that's actually a fairly easy question. Um, for me, it's story. It's right. always always about story and narrative. Um, I love it. I've always been an avid reader. Um, I was just discussing with one of our writers today, you know, books we read as a teen, um, teens. Um, you know, I love, I love storytelling. I love, I know, I used, you know, as a kid, you know, made up all these imaginary worlds and you'd go with your friends and you'd play all these things with, with each other and just create these little universes and little story scenarios. And, you know, it's, very common you know what's the first thing you give to children is like you give them dolls you give them stuffed animals and what do they do they start making little little games and little uh, stories out of that and I don't think I ever really grew out of that to be honest um so when it comes to um making games with Salix that was something that I just really wanted to do and for me it was really important just to start to tell some stories that I felt I hadn't really heard in games before um, you know, I was kind of getting a bit sick of generic gruff dude going on a vengeance thing for his dead wife slash family. Um, I was like, okay, we've seen that story. We've seen that video and we've seen it done very well. Um, you know, the, the latest God of War is fantastic. Isn't you know, it? I Isn't it? Wow. I it. And I'm a huge fan of Norse mythology as well. So I was yeah. like, I was just lapping all of that up and I was like, I thought they did it very well, but there's some other ones I've seen. I'm just like, really? We're, we're, we're dead wifing again? Mm. And I was like, okay, well, there's all these incredible tropes. 
and they're a trope for a reason because they're successful. And I was like, well, what if we started to, to play around with them and started seeing some some stories from different points of view? Um, and just some of the stories that I wanted to see. Like, I love sci-fi and fantasy. They are my, my biggest and favorite, most favorite genres. Um, it even comes into, like, my sound design work. Like, when I was um, at Rocksteady, for example, like, all the stuff that I was given, all the stuff I kind of put my hands up first thing to do was anything that wasn't real world. So I did like all the gadgets. I did uh, like detective mode. I did all the the um, going forwards and backwards in time, and all of that stuff. And the UI was was me, because I love dealing with that otherworldly fantastical side. I am less interested in reality, <laughs> I guess. Um, I think there's just so much fun to have, and you can see the world through so many different lenses when you have that slightly sci-fi and fantastical spin on it um as I mentioned before like I grew up watching mountains of Doctor Who so it's and I think that's just such a brilliant medium um and you can see it kind of reflected in in Delac and Faye and the fact that you've got these characters that can go anywhere and do anything and you get to see the world through their eyes but you get to explore everywhere and I just think I think that's amazing yeah, um, I must confess, I'm a big fan of world exploration. I know there's a there's a there's a thing going around people saying, "Oh, terms and types of players," and there's the explorers. And you and I know it doesn't really work that way. It's more like a Venn diagram yeah. than anything. Because one minute I'm playing Geometry Wars, which has nothing to do with exploration, yeah. but it's just awesome twin stick shooter. To yeah. indeed playing something like Dance of Death, Delact and Vey, which is yeah. you know definitely a, a, a world exploration thing. But, yeah. you know, one of the reasons, um, and take a drink, everyone, I'm going to mention it. One of the reasons I you know, played WoW for so long is I wanted to see the world. The only, yeah. way to, the only way to do it is to be a raid member. Sorry. That was, that was a means to an end. It was a means to an end. You yeah. Know? I mean, I like the shiny stuff, and towards the end, my character looked like a Belisha beacon. But it's still, you know, <laughs> it was just a glowiness of glows. There was glows on glows and glows. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's uh, worlds created by others i find fascinating to dive into and yeah. uh, that's why that forces me on and plays on even with like gta games a lot of people don't like them but uh, they are they are worlds incredible worlds ugly. yeah they're quite ugly i grant you that and yeah. not not you know visually but um spiritually they're, they're somewhat uh, moribund but nonetheless they are worlds so I think it's a really interesting thing about um, universe and extended universes at the moment. You know, I think Marvel do it exceptionally well. And, you know, it's always been about for comic books. You know, you spend time with one set of characters and then it's like, oh, we have the spin-off adventures of, of this character and the spin-off adventures of that character. Like, I, I love the X-Men. Um, I kind of read a lot of those bits and pieces. Um, and I think video games do that really well. And it's why I prefer long-form TV than going to see films a lot of the time because... I want to spend more time with these characters. I want to spend more time in this world. Um, so being able to sit down and play a Mass Effect, a Skyrim, a Fallout, a Dragon Age, I'm just like, yes, gimme. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or sit and spend 100 hours with these characters and you form bonds with them and that's what that's what we really want to do. Indeed. Well, fantastic answer to a nebulous question. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. Second, so, so the next question, the second question, fourth question, first half. So this one's tough to answer as well. Like I said, it does ramp up. Um, what developer do you most admire in the industry and why? Ooh. It could be a person or it could be a, a studio. But do you think you point at them and go, 
you carry on doing what you're doing. That'll be great. Thanks. Um, trying to think. So there's quite a few. I know. Um, you don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, do you? No. <laughs> um, you have all of one. <laughs> I'll give you that. God, this is a horrible question. I don't like this. Who's asking to pay favourites? No, I don't like it. Don't like it. Um, you can be magnanimous and just go, they're all wonderful. That's fine. I would, because I think like so many of them, they have, they each do their own thing in a certain way and, and some do it better than others and they should be applauded for the things that they do one in their own right and I don't think it necessarily means that one studio is better than another mm. they do different things right. like I don't really think you can compare someone like Rocksteady to Campo Santo for example yeah. I, don't think, I don't think that's a fair comparison no. but they both turf out stellar products yeah yeah that's perfectly you know sound way to, to respond to that question and it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a wonderful way to say it because I know you know this, but in the industry for long enough, but making games is very, 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 very hard. You know. Oh yes, it is. It's very, very hard. You know, and uh, I say to all my guests, you know, when they're near and completing the game or have finished making the game, well done. And again, to to lay people, it sounds very patronising. I'm not being patronising. You know. Uh, yeah, I think <laughs> under all this hair dye, I might be grey. <laughs> I'm scared to find out. <laughs> and it's just the you know, it's very, very yeah. People still crack on. They've been doing it for 40, 50 years now. And, uh, yeah. you know, if you think it's hard now, Think, imagine it was like when you just had assembly to work with and, you know, one kilobyte of memory, which is what, or even less, which is what the Atari had. You know, that's all they had. But they did it's, it. It's so strange. Like, I've seen the jump from consoles. Like, um, the first game I played, we... Um, we had the old PS2 dev kits. Did you ever see those? I never saw those, no. no. They were massive. <laughs> they were these giant, giant things. Right. Um, and it's kind of gone from seeing that to the PS3 to the PS4. and Because I was um, at Rare during um, the Durango launch and kind of seeing the different models of that come through and just being having my mind blown by the rate that technology changes um it's one of the reasons i love games because it's always changing and everything gets newer and shinier and you have to keep on your toes yeah it's, it's very cool yeah no one saw the switch come in did they complete broadside <laughs> complete broadside isn't it it's like nintendo what are you doing no one... like, what, what? these things slot out I, I don't understand this is bad this is no one wants to have millennials on a on a, on a rooftop with a party. No one does this. You get thrown out of said party. What are you doing? No one. This is terrible idea. Oh, wait, it's the best thing ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just... Wow. Wow. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> Last question, first half. See, you made it. Well done. Hey. This one's really easy. Should be anyway. I'm legally obliged to ask it because this is a podcast about video games, therefore I have to ask this. What are you playing right now? <laughs> Delacan Play Dance of Death. No, so Dance of Death Delacan Play. That's all I do. It's all I do. It can't be. It must be something else. Um, Threes? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
No, like seriously, I haven't. Like, I left my flat for the first time in a week today, and it was just to go to Waitrose and get some milk. <laughs> That's how depressing it is. All right. Well, let, let, well, and upon the upon the uh, launch of Dance of Death, what do you plan on playing? Because I know it's going to be something. Ah, yes. So I'm go. going to catch up with a bunch of games. So the one I really want to, because I started playing briefly and really want to go back into, is Marvel Spider-Man. Yes, I hear very good I things. Really, really want to dig into that. Yeah. Um, I downloaded this bundle of like adventure games that was like on something for like two ninety nine, and I've got like ten of those, and I'm like, yes, I want to play all of them. Nice. <laughs> um, the occupations on my list. Okay. That's just now. I think that looks quite interesting. Um, yeah, I might go. I might read some books and go outside. Really? Thing I do as well. Go yeah. So it might be a bit overrated, but okay. <laughs> Actually, on that, I asked. I, I have something called a literary regret, something I shouldn't have read, but I did anyway. Do you have any? Something I shouldn't have read, something and I did you, read. I mean, did you do you do when you're finished reading a book, you realise this is bad? Do you carry on, or do you do you, do you go now? This is a waste of time. Yes, I have. Um, when I was in, was I in college? I can't remember. I can't remember how old I was, but um, I read the first Twilight book. Uh. and then i got i think i got i got given the sequel and i read like a chapter in right. and i just stopped myself and went i don't enjoy this <laughs> <laughs> there it is there it is some people should have more courage and go this is bad yes yes it is because uh, I, I like you know i read a, i read so much Anne rice Growing up, you know, I love I love a good vampire novel, and I was like, "Oh, this is going to be fun." I was like, "No, no, I'm just just not enjoying this." No one's sparkling. Gonna... Don't have sparkling vampires. That's just not. They, they, they can go in the bed. They, in off off into the sea they go, if you will. <laughs> yeah. There was a thing about you know get into the sea. Uh, for me, for me, and I know listeners know this, but I haven't said it in a while, so they'll probably remind them now. Is uh, the uh, the June books, not the first one. First one's fantastic. Uh, interesting. It's just the rest of them is terrible epilogues that need to be written, in my humble opinion. Okay. Because yeah, so, June's on my list of ones that I've never actually sat down and read. The first so one's I had, awesome. Really... So I had the nickname of Lady Jessica when I was at Cody's because of the June. Oh, of course, uh, yeah. But it gets it, yeah. I've never read them. Mm. That surprised me, considering your affection for sci-fi. Yes, um, I, I did enjoy the first film, actually. I really, I think visually it was fascinating. I found Sting strangely attractive, which still confuses me to this day. Yeah. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I enjoyed it. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a thing, but no, I do highly recommend the first novel. It's certainly yeah. a great study on the human condition and how potentially uh, we could evolve. It was more like a reflection on the times it was written, as is all the best sci-fi is. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, Best not bother. In my humble opinion, I'm sure a lot of people now are writing and going, how can you say this, Chris? But honestly, really? Chapter House Dune? Really? Uh, Emperor Dune? No. 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 It, it gets really just, oh, God. There's some scenes. I, I yeah, it's Text that I'd rather not have read. I generally yeah. thought, it's got to get better. It's got, it never did. It never, oh, it never uh, did, Jessica. It never did. Okay. I read oh, well. them all. I did. But, you know, don't let me, you know, by all means... I'm sure you can download them and and for, and just you know, 
I've got I've got the first one on my Kindle, so I might sit yeah. and have to read. Just it. have a go. It's it's yeah. It's um. An I think I probably movie. would enjoy it. it. Yeah. Yes. It's good. It's just unfortunately, it, I, I, in my opinion, it goes off the rails in the the, the epilogues. A series of sequels that uh, Mr. Herbert felt compelled to write. I've only someone said no. Never mind. <laughs> so that's it for the first half. Well done, you made it. As I said, uh, I wish you the best of luck in getting playing those games when you finish. Because you know, um, you know, not long, a couple of weeks. Couple of weeks. Scary. Um, I've got games launched and any any terror that comes with that. Yeah. But, um, no. But uh, let's um, go on to the second half of the show where we delve deep into Dance of Death, Dulac and Fay. So, first question isn't a question as regular listeners know. It's a request. Please tell us, what is Dance of Death, Delac and Faye? So, uh, Dance of Death, Delac and Faye is a narrative adventure where you play two Arthurian immortals who find themselves in Victorian London embroiled in the Jack the Ripper murders. And you team up with Mary Kelly, a Whitechapel local, to hunt him down. To me, that whole scenario sounds like one of the best pen and paper RPGs you could possibly think of. <laughs> I, I play a lot of pen and paper RPGs. Uh, yeah. I'm playing one right now called Shadow of the Demon Lord. I'm not sure you're familiar with it. Imagine I lo- one. lovely Dungeons and Dragons, only the bad guys won. <laughs> <laughs> and you're just trying to make the best out of a really bad situation. Oh, dear. So I'll just leave it at that. And for me, the whole scenario of, of this and being able to play one of these characters and to manipulate them, you know, it'd be fantastic. It'll be a great fate game. It really would. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so I just want to pass it on to you and your rest of your team. Well done. 
It's like it's yeah, it, it's it writes itself, which is no doubt why you came up with this extraordinary uh, concept. But let's talk about these two characters because um, they they do have full names, but there's actually on the website you can find out for yourself. That they have a greater name than just the uh, Dulac and Faye. Yes, uh, names you recognise maybe. Um, but uh, Faye, she's well, she's currently a dog. Yes, currently, uh, currently a dog, and. Uh, she can speak to animals, mm-hmm. and that's not that's not a spoiler. Everyone, you find out very quickly. Yes. Um, I just want to ask you this: um, you talked about spoken, spoken, spoken about storytelling and narrative yeah. and how important that is. But I found it really fun. In fact, one of the things I always try to seek out is the fact that Faye can speak to animals, and uh, therefore there's a dialogue. A difference in dialogue between humans and other creatures. How have you found splitting that dialogue of making sure that it's it's relevant and it's you know not so believable but plausible that, that this is the kind of thing they would say? Because I did love because I love animals and to yeah. hear them talk in a way. Um, there's one particular one you find a dog quite early on. He's tied to a lamppost. He says something very sweet. Um, how have you yeah. found spitting those dialogue words? Is it is it more like a foil to the, the grim stuff that's going on? Um, I think so. Like um, one of the things you have to remember about Victorian London is pretty much everything that most people have a preconception about it wasn't really about what what was true of the time. Um, the Victorians were very macabre. Filthy, as in, like, very dirty humour. They were... They found humour in so much. And, yes, and when you were dealing with something that is so awful as the Ripper murders, and there is no denying that they are just these terrible, terrible acts, you know, we did have to add some, some humanity back into it. And Faye is such an interesting character to be able to do that with. And the animals we just had so much fun with, Mm. Uh, you know a lot of it is I know I sit and I look at my cats and I'm just like what is going through that brain of yours um and so it was just really fun to kind of go through the animals and almost we almost had like a hierarchy of animals and their intelligence and that's how we kind of decided how to voice them um so like one of the first characters you meet and then we just kind of yeah we kind of um sorry in a roundabout way is tried to give them a personality that would match the setting as well. So you meet some some dock seagulls who are just like these cockney thugs and I love them dearly <laughs> because they're just they just crack me up. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so we've got all these other little characters that we were still waiting to put in and there's just some gorgeous little moments and they give you these little insights into the world that you wouldn't normally get. And it's this whole idea again of like telling different stories. And so, yeah, they tell you little secrets and little hidden things about the world and the characters that you wouldn't get from any of the other players, um, any of the other NPCs. But the animals see and the animals know what's going on, but no one can talk to them, so they can't. They don't get heard, but they can. Yes, although they their response to her is like, "You're not a dog, are you?" Just yeah. On. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's lovely. It's not. That's yep. not a story. Again, we'll say that again. So. There are dexterity puzzles and things in Dance of Death to Lacking Faye. 
Um, I just find it interesting to encounter them because I wasn't expecting that. I thought this was going to be yeah. a. Uh, but no, there are some, you know, having to do some dexterity stuff in order to overcome. Yeah. Are they present to break up the pace, do you think, or is there another reason for their existence? Uh, mainly to kind of break up the pace. You know, we want to we want to keep our players engaged. Um, you know, this is it is a narrative adventure. You know, the majority of the game is is talking and building relationships with. Um, characters and listening to people and and watching the performances, um, you know, from our incredible cast and our animation team. Um, and so we didn't want to completely remove the player's autonomy. Um, and so we said, okay, well, what sections do we have where we can actually give some of that back to the player? But at the same time, you know, we want this game to be accessible to everyone. You know, we want... Um, like we always said, like, I want my mum to be able to pick this up. I want my sister to be able to pick this up and just play it. Um, we don't want anyone to rage quit. We just want people to enjoy the experience um, and just have fun with it more than anything. And so it's, yeah, it's to kind of keep pacing going. Okay. So we've already <laughs> made mention of um, Arthurian legends that are mixed in, into So they're... They're thrown into this, the Industrial Revolution, basically. Or yeah. the midst of it. Is it the midst? It's difficult to know, Victorian. Uh, it might be early or the midst of it. Let's just say it's the midst. And uh, it makes for some interesting dialogue between yeah. the characters because there seems to be a simmering sort of... I don't know what it is between them, but they are... They do like to bicker. Yes. They're, they're bigger on the bickering. Yes. And they also have very interesting points of view of where they are and what they're doing. Uh, yes. Because they have, you know, they sort of make mention of the world they find themselves in. Yeah. And they, you know, Dulac seems to be more inquisitive than Faye. Faye seems to be very... Uh, very she's very focused. Of, yeah, she's very focused. But she's also very cynical. Yeah. About everyone and everything. Uh, maybe because of what's happened to her in the past, which is fair enough. Um, but I'm just a little, what I'm um, interested in is um, how have you balanced these two extraordinary characters uh, and uh, made sure, you know, which I'm very drawn to, well done for that. But how have you made sure that that doesn't detract from the progression of the plot? So I think it's one is they are so um, integrally involved in the plot in ways that I can't really talk about. No. But they... They're also passengers on the story. Right. You know, they're there as these events take place. Um, so they're experiencing them along with the player. Um, and that's a very interesting thing to see. And through their eyes, we get to revisit this point in history. And you're right, they do have very different personalities. Um, and we've been very deliberate with their language as well. So Delac is very archaic. You know, he's he's very set in his ways. He's got his head in the past, whereas Faye's dialogue out of every single character is far more modern. She's looking to the future. And... Yes, she is more cynical because she's only really had Delac for conversation a lot of the time. 
and she gets ignored a lot. And so we take, we play around with that quite a bit. So you kind of, Faye is the one that ultimately drives the plot and the story. Um, she is the one that makes most of the big decisions. Um, and it's, but then you, when you start going in, when you get to London, you realize that Faye can't talk to anyone. And that's a really interesting power dynamic, how that changes. Um, so yeah, we're playing around with a lot of things and I don't really want to spoil um, bits, but with bits like that in the narrative and their personalities, you know, they, they have been very deliberately thought through their wording and their, the, the how they talk is very deliberate. And they are big personalities and they go up against Mary, who's arguably an even bigger personality. Yes. <laughs> and so they needed to be able to hold their own against her. Um, and I think that's a really interesting thing as well. And it's basically about, you know, how do you as the player forge your relationships between the three characters? Right. So do you do you work on building those relationships? Or do you work at driving them apart? Hmm. Depends on the greater goal, doesn't it, really? But, yeah. Uh, which leads me on to my last question. Okay. Um, I know, all good things must come to an end, but this is it. The switching between both yes. characters, because I haven't really revealed that to everyone. You do actually control both characters. Um, it's not just the... Faye or Dulac, it's both of them uh, and uh, and others um, but principally those two is what I played yeah. in the preview um, and uh, they, uh, we've already encountered they have two very different points of view of things how do you believe or how do you think this has impacted the design of the game itself or indeed the, any of the puzzles and interactions that the player has knowing that they are able to do this Oh, completely. Like, um, it essentially tailors everything because we, it's no longer thinking about what can Delac do, it's what can Faye do. Right. Um, and it's making sure she has autonomy, it's making sure she has her story heard, it's making sure that she has things to do, and it's making sure that her story comes through just as much as his because it is just as important. And I think, you know, we've had very early when we started showing people the game, they were like, oh, it's just this whimsical thing and you've got a talking pet. And it's just like, if they heard you talk about her as a pet, she would bite your arm off. Um, you know, she's she's not, she's a person. And yes, she's she's trapped, but she's still she's still a woman and she wants to be she wants to be heard and she wants to be taken seriously. And so, yes, that did absolutely impact um, our gameplay and our puzzles. Um, and I'd be interested to know if in one of our kind of dexterity things, you know, what outcome you got. Because there are several versions that, you know, involve involve the different characters. Oh, right. I see. Okay. Yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to... <Yeah. laughs> Uh, yeah, I played too many games, so I was pretty good at them. Uh, so, uh, that's actually I'm pretty bad at video games. I mean, I did play Super Ghouls and Ghosts recently, which is like just kicking the nuts, difficult. 
but yeah. um I still tried <laughs> and uh, uh so but uh, that sort of geared me up to things like this although my hand talk hand try coordination wasn't isn't what it once was yeah oh, never mind so although that's fantastic um you've been wonderful guest thank, thank you. you very much for coming on Dance thank of you for Death, uh, Dulac and Faye uh, by Salix Games yeah, is coming out on the 5th of April, is that right? Yes, yes it is. On Windows PC uh, via Steam and other reliable outlets and kind of things. Um, yeah. And it, no, it's, it's an extraordinary game, extraordinary. Uh, it's great that we live in a time where we can play games like this. You know, because you and I know we've lived through times when you try to pitch to this to a publisher or anyone else, they'll go, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, they did. That was the problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we have to do it ourselves. Okay, okay. Well, the fact is you still can do it yourself. Um, yeah. I'll yeah. take your point, you know. Um, <laughs> but you do have people like Devolver and more for you and stuff like that. But yeah. no, you're, you're right. It's... Um, it's still it's still a bit it still is a struggle but you got you got things like you know gone home you've got you know yeah. um and papers please these are all two classics that are now that people cite as being um uh, examples of things that are a bit weird uh, and indeed firewatch of course uh, oh yeah beautiful yeah. beautiful a game that though one of the few games that uh, you stop for no purpose other than to look at the scenery. Yes. <laughs> it's just incredible. So, uh, yeah. Um, Jessica, has been fascinating. Like I said, great having you on. And you're more than welcome to come back to talk about any other future uh, project you have in mind after after the, the creation of this extraordinary thing that you've made in the form of Dance of Death. Do like Thank you very much. Yeah.